Every decision they make can have an effect on our lives. Well, I'm not a crook. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. The skies over Baghdad have been illuminated. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. What difference at this point does it make? I went from leading by a lot to losing by a little. This is Our Lives in Politics on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Booker Scott and Lou Basada. Sometimes when I think about the state of our country, I think about those cartoons I would watch when I was a kid. Specifically, I recall a Model T with the wheels wobbling going down the road after some calamity, and the wheels would just fall off, the car hits the street, and it stops. Well, we now have a president and a former president with their own special prosecutors. We even still have a prosecutor in John Durham that's investigating Hillary Clinton all the way back to 2016. The Twitter files have revealed our own government agencies and our politicians have weaponized the media to silence opposition. And in some cases, even silence some for just asking simple questions. COVID and the vaccines have been a big part of that censorship. A big part of America Out Loud Network is getting health truth, COVID truth, and vaccine truth out to you so you can make informed, intelligent decisions. In a few minutes, we'll welcome John Baudouin to Our Lives in Politics. He's developed a way to pinpoint vaccine deaths from state death certificate data. But before we go there, let's take a trip back about 10 years, back to 2012. You remember the cake baker in Colorado that refused to bake a cake for a gay couple based on the baker's religious views? At the time, it was a big story, it was huge. It eventually made its way to the Supreme Court and just recently, the same baker refused to bake a cake for a transgender woman. We now have a Supreme Court justice that can't even define what a woman is. Or maybe she's just too afraid to because of our woke society. From baking a cake for a gay couple to our woke society we live in today, we've come a long way from political correctness in a short time. Now the liberal left has hijacked the gay pride movement. And you should know, a lot of gays and lesbians, they're not happy about it. They're afraid the gains that they've made for all of these years for simple rights like health insurance and marriage could be in jeopardy as the LGB community watches the LGBTQIAA++++ whatever all that stands for as they advocate for transgender children, puberty blockers, drag queen story time, and bathrooms for both sexes in public schools. The LGB says enough is enough. And in just a couple of minutes, we're going to bring in a couple of people from that LGB community that feel like their movement has been hijacked. My name is Booker Scott, and I'm the host of Our Lives and Politics. Thanks a lot for listening. And my co-host and producer is Lou Pizzotta. And I know Lou and I, we have similar thoughts when it comes to this. We believe everybody should live in freedom and liberty. What you do on your own time is up to you. And I know, Lou, you think like I do. Absolutely, Booker. I do. And thank you very much. You know, someone's preference is none of my business and I could care less. Um, I'm going to think about them the same way as I would anybody else. I respect them. I'm going to love them as I do my neighbor. And that's just the way I am. And I think that's the way it should be. But uh, definitely, um, when you start targeting the children, though, that really upsets me because I have three of my own, and I do not want that um, indoctrination stuff, uh, you know, projected toward them in any way or form. And I think that's where the line is crossed. 
when you when you go to the kids. I know if I look at myself at five or six years old, I was worried about making a mud pie and literally eating the thing. And now we have people that say five and six-year-olds can make a decision on who they will be as an adult at 25, 26. And I believe that's the part that has the LGB part of that movement, the gay pride movement, afraid of what's happening on the far left. And let's bring in our two guests now. We have Mel from California. We're going to go with first names only, uh, just for their protection. And Harley from Pennsylvania. Guys, welcome in to Our Lives in Politics. Well, hello. Thank you for having us. Yes. And Harley, let me ask you, because you're, you're very outspoken on social media. And if you want to, you can tell everybody what your handle is on Twitter so that they can follow you. But you heard that opening there. Is that reflective of the way you personally feel about what is happening to the gay movement right now? Well, to begin, you can find me on uh, Twitter as Ultra Gay Biker Dad. And uh, this is very much uh, reflective of how I feel, uh, as well as um, I have many other issues with the LGB mentality of today. Uh, I do not feel like we are an oppressed people. I feel like we were. That is no longer the case. And all of this wokeness uh, has crossed many lines. It's not just the children, but that is probably the most desperate line, sir. And you bring up uh, oppressed. Who is saying they are oppressed now in the LGBTQIAAA++++? And let me mention that all those pluses and all those extra letters are so when they determine something else they want to be, they can just add it. Am I right or wrong on that? Pretty much, yes, sir. (laughs) I'm ready to start using that as my secure password for banking if it gets any longer. (laughs) Um, But um, so it is, uh, it is, well, it's the LGBT um, saying we are oppressed and I disagree, but it's also the LGBTQAI++, which is a lot of straight people who are inventing gender identities to shoehorn their way in. And to the younger gay crowd and lesbian crowd, I want to sit there and say, you don't know what oppression is. You don't know the terror of losing every friend and every family. Coming out when we were in junior high, high school or uh, college could be a a death sentence. Uh, Not literally, but, you know, you would be absolutely ostracized. And you could stand to lose your whole family when we grew up. And they do not see that today. The, you know, everybody sits there and waves rainbow flags and goes stunning and brave, stunning and brave. And, you know, especially to the older gays and lesbians who actually lived through the worst of the oppression through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, I want to sit there and shake them and say, you remember what it's like. We are not an oppressed people anymore. Yeah, there's a few homophobic bigots out there. And they're not all, you know, the white Christian male uh, that the left loves to demonize and say is our greatest enemy. Uh, statistics would prove otherwise. Um, but they, it, it's, 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 it's astounding to me, sir, that there yeah. are people in this day and age sitting there when we are overrepresented in TV, when we are idolized, and when we're every corporation for the month of June throws a rainbow flag logo up and it's in schools. Show me the oppression. Where is it? Amel, do you have anything to add to this part of the conversation? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with him. I mean, when are we oppressed? I mean, we crossed that line when gay marriage came into effect, right? And what is it that we're fighting for? And I think that they are pushing a movement that is to the degree of um, 
wanting to be the one and only um, accepted group, if, if that makes any sense. And um, it does. Yeah. yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, and then you're going to start talking in, you know, about the transgender. That's a whole other other issue with uh, puberty blockers and so forth. But we're not oppressed. I mean, I'm for I'm 56 years old, perfectly happy. I don't have any discrimination. I've not been discriminated against in many, many, many years. And I'm sure Harley can speak to the same thing. So where is the oppression? And it is the white, uh, actually the white uh, females of the world that are really buying into this uh, uh, QIAA uh, alphabet soup uh, agenda. And, and Mel and Harley, um, Harley, real quick, is it the white female heterosexual liberal? Oh, absolutely. And nothing, yes, 100%. Yeah. Nothing upsets me more than a ally, straight white woman who is wagging her finger in my face, telling me what she knows about being gay. And then Correct. when it com when it comes to transgender and the things that we see in schools where we have same sex bathrooms in schools, uh, you know, you remember Loudoun County, Virginia, where a father uh, got taken down. That happened in a school board meeting, by the way. And his daughter had been raped and he was upset about it. And he she was raped in a same sex bathroom. It seems to me that none of this makes any common sense. And from Harley, I'll ask you, from a gay guy who's about 40 years old, does it make any sense to you? No, sir. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, you know, this really speaks to the left because if you look deeper into that, they silenced the father and they silenced the girl. And it really just makes you wonder on the left, whose side are you on? You say you stand for women. You say you stand for gays. You say you stand for trans, but you're constantly throwing us under the bus for each other based on some sort of oppression system that nobody understands. Because it really doesn't exist, does it? And that's what both of you guys are, are telling me, that the oppression for the gay and lesbian movement has been over for a while. I Correct. would agree with that, yes. Yes, it yeah. has been. And when we get to the, the transgenderism with children, a lot of people say that it's grooming. And the same thing for the drag queen story times at public libraries. There's that whole movement that is getting to our children. And it's uncomfortable for me. And I wonder if it's uncomfortable for you guys. It's extremely uncomfortable. And I think Harley and I have talked about this in numerous occasions that, you know, aside from the, the uh, transgender movement and the drag queen story tale hour, um, many times we've discussed the fact that when in history, uh, or, or I should back up, when are you going to take your child to a strip club? I mean, it's no different. And why do they think that it's okay for some man dressed in a woman's uh, attire, shaking his, you know, whatever at a young kid of five years old, who's sticking a $5 bill in his um, G-string strap? You know, I mean, I don't understand this at all, except for the fact that it kind of goes back to they want to be the number one all-encompassing uh, gender. You know, they, they want to be number one. They want they want everything to revolve around them, if that makes sense. Is it a play for attention? Um, I don't know if it's attention. I think it's just this whole entitlement. They 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 want to push everything on you. And we, we can talk about the the uh, baker that refused to bake a cake for the, the gay couple, right? I mean, I'm not going to go to, I'm Christian. I'm, 
I'm a Christian, I'm a conservative, and I'm a lesbian, right? But I'm not going to go to my Baptist pastor and say, you will marry me. So why mm-hmm. should that be any different? I understand where, where he is at that point, and I'm okay with that. So it's like they want to continue to push this to be accepting when, in fact, what it does, it reverses their acceptance. And I come from a place that if you allow people to love you where you're at, to, to understand who you are, you get much more, much more acceptance, you know, in that arena versus trying to push it on someone. Well said. And, you know, in, in, in the opening, I talked about that cake baker in Colorado. And it, and it seems like that every time an inch is given, they try to take a yard. And, and eventually, the pendulum will swing back. It'll swing back, but it would never swing back as far. And we see this over and over and over again. And I guess from what I hear from guys like you, Harley and Mel, that you're worried that that pendulum may swing so far back, it could get into the rights that you've worked so hard for through the years. Well, yeah. And I let Harley speak to this too, because he's, he's very knowledgeable on this. But again, like you said, swinging that back so far to the damage of what they've done mostly to this younger generation, right? So when you're talking about, aside from just the gay community itself, but what about the the permanent damage that you've done to these kids, their minds, their bodies, uh, you know, the chemicals that they've been given. I mean, there's it goes much more into to that aside from just um, hijacking our community to where we feel like we can just be uh, normal. Right. If there is a thing called normal. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really I, I feel for me anyways that I don't even. Um, frequent those events anymore because I feel like I, knowing who my friends are, uh, the people that I do know in those groups that I feel judged now. So it is hijacking me because I don't feel like I can be open because when they know my stance, um, they just think I'm a wacko, you know, and how I'm just against trans and I'm against this. Well, no, I'm not against the real trans people, but I'm not for trans trenders as we call them. And, Mm -hmm. um, Harley can speak to that. Yes. Well, when we're talking about the societal pendulum, we have definitely seen these swings happen before. You know, there was the stuffy Victorian era where men couldn't show their bare arms and women were in, uh, couldn't go out without hats on and 30, late in, or 30 laced boots. And then it swung into, you know, the roaring 20s and women were cutting their hair short and wearing short skirts and dancing on the tabletops. And then we swung all the way back and, you know, you had to kneel to see if your skirt touched the floor. And then we've been progressively moving to a liberal society pretty much since the end of the 60s. So, yes, these happen. Uh, And we swing back and, you know, the longer we stay in one and the more someone tries to keep the pendulum on their side, the more violent the swing happens. So I am very worried about that. I'm very worried not just for the gay community, but for a lot of community, the whole of our society, whether we're looking at this through the lens of our race, our religions, our sex, sexuality and gender. Um, Going sort of to the more pressing question, um about you know the 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 far left and everything i think that a lot of people need to understand that well first off you know gays lesbians bisexuals our gender identity is fine we are men and we are women 
Uh, mm -hmm. It's our sexuality that's the difference. Now, with the real trans community, which is a very small portion of humanity who have gender dysphoria, it's their gender identity that is the deviation from the norm. But the hard part about the trans label is it has been completely co-opted and there's about four different things running out there calling themselves trans and three of them aren't. And really the great divide is if you are a woke person or not a woke person. And it's the woke gays, the woke lesbians and bisexuals. It is the woke trans people. And pretty much all of these trans trenders and sexual predators calling themselves trans and all of these people who are queer, who are mostly straight, they are, you know, exclusively woke. You can find gays and lesbians and the real trans community all over the political spectrum from liberal to conservative to politically disengaged and anarchist. But these people only on the left and the far left. And they are constantly blurring the lines between our sex, our gender, and sexuality. And Mel, you mentioned something a few minutes ago about being ostracized by people in the movement, people that were your friends because you won't take the stance um, that they take with transgenderism or whatever, whatever it is. And I find that interesting. And I think that's important for our listeners to hear and understand also that you are being oppressed within your own community. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, when you post something on uh, social media uh, against the um, transgender movement, so to speak, versus, uh, and I mean, not the real transgender, but this new transgender movement, they they hate on you. You know, it's, it's all this rebuttal about, oh, you must hate uh, you, well, I can't even believe that you're gay. How can you even be gay? You hate trans people. No, I don't hate trans people, but I don't believe that a uh, you should be uh, giving chemical castration to a five-year-old. You know, maybe they can't drive, they can't go to the casino, um, they can't vote. So why in the world are they able to make life-changing decisions about their body at age five? I mean, it just it makes no sense. And what they don't get is that they feel that it just takes away the person's or the child's ability to express. Well, it's one thing to express and to dress a certain way, but it's a different thing, totally different when you're trying to put chemicals in their body. And cut off body parts. Exactly. Which in itself is very scary, actually. I'll give you an example. I don't, I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's, it's been all over the news. Um, and I want to say the case came from, Midwest somewhere and the uh, husband and wife going through divorce, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the mother who is a doctor who actually owns a reaffirming uh, practice in California. So therefore he lost custody of his kids and the mom has already started and had started their kids on um, hormones for them to trans and just because at one point, the little boy uh, said that he liked a certain uh, outfit or something to some degree. Well, and that's how serious it's getting. I mean, this guy literally lost custody of his kids in a Supreme Court decision so that the mother can, in fact, apply this kind of medical treatment to her kids. And yeah. he has absolutely no say. I remember that, but I don't remember exactly where that was at. It was Texas and California. Okay. Uh, yes, yes, it was. Yeah. Of Save James, yeah. James, a.k.a. Luna. Yeah, thank you. Yes, that's correct. Yep. And that's just one of many. 
Yeah, that, that that's scary, Mel, because, you know, I, I was thinking back, uh, for instance, my son is in the middle of uh, my two daughters, and there was a time where I can imagine someone seeing him playing with his sisters, playing with dolls and doing all these things that the his sisters were doing, and they might say, you know, make comments or think something, and it was never anything that ever crossed my mind. I never thought about it because I'm like, that's his sisters. They play together. Let them, let them play it out and let them do what they, you know, let them do what they will. Uh, if he ever grows up and he decides that that's the lifestyle that he wants, I'm going to love him because he's my son or my daughter's is going to be the same thing. Nothing is going to change. And, and I think that's the sad part about society is that uh, you lose family and you lose friends when, well, apparently you weren't really family. Uh, even though you're blood and you weren't really friends because you turned your back on someone. And, but I can see that kind of stuff happening. I really can. And it's, it's, it's a shame. Well, and you know, Harley and I talk about this a lot in spaces and I'm sure Booker has, has been there as well in that, um, you know, I grew up a tomboy, you know, um, I didn't come into my femininity until probably my late twenties, early thirties. And, um, you know, I, uh, pretty much uh, probably looked like I might be gay when I was younger, but I was just a tomboy. And I can't even imagine what that had been like for whatever reason, which I had very good faith in my parents that they would never do that. But to think that my parents would take it, the fact that I played with, you know, uh, Ken the Barbie and and the Tonka trucks versus the Barbie doll, that somehow I wanted to be a boy and take me and put me through treatment to change my, my sex. I mean, I, I, to me, that's just astonishing to me. And I'm thinking, I'm glad that I don't live in that, that era. But, but again, that's the kind of thing. It's like, what happened to gay, dyke, lesbian? It's okay. I mean, or even femme, gay guy, it's okay. I mean, but they have blurred the lines where all of that's considered. And there's no, none of this, you can't just be a tomboy dyke girl anymore you must be a boy if you're a dyke that that's kind of how they they think absolutely let me share this about a very good friend i have i'm going to call him my big brother we're that close and about 20 years ago he and i had a conversation because he is a gay man very long monogamous relationship his partner passed away and now he's in another very long relationship in between, he and I had this conversation. He is a big homophobic person, and I couldn't understand why he felt the way that he felt. And I asked him one time, I said, look, Neil, if you were the luckiest guy in the world and you had sex seven days a week, and let's say that it lasted 30 minutes, that still leaves 23 and a half hours a day to define you as a person. And people aren't really looking at you in that way. So why do you look at yourself that way? So my question is to you guys, as we end this segment, how do we get back to a point where that sexuality is not a part of what defines people? I'll let Harley take that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think if we all had the answer to that, we'd be already marching in that direction because I think a lot of us have had enough. I mean, at this point, enough is enough. And there's not just, you know, the gay, lesbian, um, homosexual question, but there's a strong sexual element to society, no matter which direction we are working right now. And it's 
I, I think that we need to sort of tone it down. I don't think that flaunting sexuality in public, whether you're straight or gay or whatever, is really acceptable. And we shouldn't, mm -hmm. it, it should be returned to something that's intimate and beautiful between two human beings who love each other uh, versus, you know, a public display. Great point. But, but how do we get back there? Uh, you know, that's that's the hard part. That's the part that I'm struggling with in in society right now, because it seems like it is so dominated by this sexuality and this movement, this movement that we've been talking about for this half hour about uh, the LGBTQIAAA plus 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 that has hijacked the LGB movement. You know, how, how do we stop it? Is there a way? Is I just don't know. Well, you know, I think if there is a way, it's going to have to start with the media. And we know that's not going to happen. I mean, if you look way back, what what started way back? Every commercial was with a sexy female or a sexy man. Everything's been sexualized from the time I can remember as a child, right? So we have been ingrained and our brain has been um, learning this for a very long time. So they've just uh, exemplified it by a hundred times. And I don't know how we get back there. I don't know if, you know, even in media, I mean, the commercials that you see, it's just crazy how they want to even promote obesity in women because it's okay to be a big girl. Right. And so yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know where we go from here and I don't have a clue how we get it back. Harley, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I'm with you folks. I really don't have a very good answer for that. If I had the answer, I promise I would give it to you folks. But right now we are sort of staring into the precipice of the abyss. And if I could kind of take the conversation back a little bit, um, you know, speaking to this whole, we're even being canceled by our own people. And it's especially annoying when it comes from our allies who aren't gay and a bunch of people who are pretending to be gay is I, I'm going to tell you that even the woke gays who think we're oppressed, we're oppressed, don't support this transing of the children. In fact, they believe, uh, surprise, surprise, it's rooted in oppression and it's homophobia and people would rather have a trans daughter than they would a homosexual son. So they want to trans the gay away. This is what the woke gays believe. So even they don't believe it. Behind closed doors, they talk about it, but in public, they're scared of being canceled, being fired from their jobs and canceled by the mob and not allowed to be in gay LGBTQ spaces. So they don't say it in public, even though they know it's wrong and they don't agree with it. And that is really the most pressing thing is we're looking at a whole generation of children who are being absolutely destroyed, their minds warped, and in some cases, their bodies warped. Uh, and then there's the horrific uh, realization that pedophiles are now trying to get on the plane and uh, sexualize children and say, oh, yeah, it's perfectly fine for a 35-year-old man to sleep with a five-year-old girl. Totally fine. Yeah, no, it's not. And with all that this is going on, you know, a lot of poor children are going to be hurt, whether it's their mentality or su surviving sexual abuse or having their body completely destroyed. And, you know, I'm going to sit here and say that any child that deviates from the norm is particularly vulnerable to this. We're talking straight cake bacon mama's boys and straight tom girls. We're talking about lesbian girls who are a little masculine and gay boys who are a little feminine and autistic children and people with body dysmorphia. They're all 
strong victims of this thing. And this is our next generation and we're wiping them out. And it's just terrifying to me. And that's where we need to start. We need to save these kids before we can get anything else done. This is priority. Harley, Harley and Mel, thanks a lot for being here and speaking your mind. And I think both of you kind of hit on, I believe what could be the motivation for all of us. And that's our children, our generations of Americans in the future that we have to protect. And maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe that's where we can turn this thing and swing the pendulum back to a little bit of conservative values. Yeah, I agree with you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I wouldn't even say it's conservative values, but um, I would just say this is humane values, the the eternity of your bloodline that we have been evolving towards since we first stood upright. And I'll I'll end it with that. Um, But I also really want to thank you for having me on here. It was a pleasure. And uh, thank you for giving us a chance to voice our opinions. And uh, thank you to everybody who listened. And please know that there are gays and lesbians and bisexuals and even real trans people who are on your side and care about your children as much as you do. Thank you. Hey, Mel. Thank you, Harley, from Pennsylvania and Mel from California. You are listening to Our Lives and Politics on the America Out Loud Network. We'll be back in just a minute with John Bodwan, and we're going to talk about COVID and uh, some ways that he has found to find out how people have actually died from the vaccine. It's going to be interesting. It's coming up next on Our Lives and Politics. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Falker with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. 
So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com, seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Our Lives in Politics here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Booker Scott with my co-host Lou Pozzada. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, a big part of America Out Loud is COVID and vaccines. And we kind of want to get into this segment right now. We're going to welcome John Bodwan. He sued Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker. We don't want to get a, a bunch into that, but we will. He charged him uh, with uh, that he submitted fraudulent data to the federal government during this COVID mess. Uh, now John has access to about 460,000 uh, to about 460,000 death certificates. Uh, after analyzing seven years of data, he discovered and uncovered evidence of thousands of deaths in 2021 that could be linked to COVID-19 vaccine deaths. John, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me, Booker. Real quick, I want to maybe a 30,000 foot view. Let's talk about what you found and then maybe work back from there. From the data that you researched and analyzed, the 460,000 death certificates, what process did you take to find what you found? Well, I, I started with the data uh, the way I started with, with all of COVID. And that is, um, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of trust in uh, government and the CDC because early on I had... Um, asked the CDC why there was an error in one of their files from historical data 2014 through 2018. The file was taken down for 36 hours and when it came back, they changed historical data to match the, the current narrative in 2020. Can't prove anything, I didn't save anything. I was naive at the time, but from that point on, I don't trust them. So the only way to look at stuff then at that point was all cause data. So I started looking at all cause data and, um, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I won't get into all the everything I did for two years, but in March, I realized that, you know, the only way to uh, tease out the, the various individual buckets where CDC gives you bundles of data, like renal failure, they'll give you the chronic and acute as a bundle called renal failure. I want to know what happened with chronic and I want to know what happened with acute and to see if they're different. More important is acute because it happened right away. There was no history. I, I sought the death certificates, which was the only way to to get, you know, it's the raw data. I have 315 different columns per record, per death. There's 315 different fields. And so I was able to find uh, individual causes of death per person. Not only did somebody die from COVID, but it, it, did they die from COVID with pneumonia or COVID with a heart attack or COVID with arrhythmia or COVID with pulmonary embolism? Nobody else can do hey, that. Hey, John. Yes, sir. Can can you explain those columns really oh, yeah. simply? There, there's, there's a lot of just plain data, like what race are they, race, age, gender, um, parents' names, okay. where the parents are from, medical examiner's office address. Um, there's just, there's a ton of data there. 
So the, the important ones to me were the causes of death. So that, that's that's the more important thing to talk about. Of course, I can look at average age once I figure out the subset that I want. Here, here's the bottom line. 2020 was a year of respiratory deaths in very old people that was very seasonal. Seasonal meaning it turned on in the winter and off in the spring and back on in the late fall. So I'm in Massachusetts. These are all Massachusetts death certificates. So given the climate that we're in, it's a sinusoidal wave. You know, it's it's cold in the winter, warm in the summer. Deaths also follow that curve. Now, when you introduce a seasonal virus, a respiratory seasonal virus, all it does is ampl- amplify or increase that sinusoidal wave such that there are more deaths in the winter. It still shuts off almost completely in the summer. Now, here's what happened. On a year boundary in 2021, everything changed. It's as if the virus just said, hey, I'm not going to kill people by pneumonia anymore. I'm going to kill them in their blood. I'm going to kill them by heart attacks, strokes, uh, other clots, thrombocytopenia. I mean, I could say post-hemorrhagic, acute post-hemorrhagic anemia, thrombocytopenia, pulmonary embolism, cardiac arrest, cardiac arrhythmia. Those were all up. So when I looked through every single ICD-10 code, uh, cancers, um, you know, geniturinary system. So all, all your kidney stuff, everything. It turned out that COVID went down, all cause went down, pneumonia went down, but um, blood, blood forming organs, blood transport system, which is the circulatory system of which the heart is the center of it, and blood cancers. But, the, but of course that lagged another six months. So everything to do with the blood went up while COVID went down. It's an inverse relationship. It has nothing to do mm-hmm. with COVID. Something else killed people beginning 2021 in excess. So you look a little bit deeper, and then yeah. what do you find? Yeah, so <clears throat> I, I, I found extremely high rates, increased rates of death, excess death, uh, which was anomalous to prior years 2015 through 19. So I have 2015 through 2022, all the data, every cause of death for every person. Um, not only did the symptoms change on a year boundary, the ages also changed. People are 10 years younger. The, the excess deaths, I have a formula I use and anybody can look at it. Um, there's a slide I have on it. And the, the, so the excess deaths dropped more than 10 years. It's like, whoa, now people are dying of a different thing at younger ages and all year long, not seasonal. They're dying in the summer. They were dying all summer long from 65 to 84 years old. It wasn't just the 85 pluses that were dying anymore. So now all of a sudden where people survived and had no problem with COVID in 2020, you have a mass amount of deaths that are occurring from circulatory system stuff, completely different symptoms, 10 years younger in the 65 to 84 range and all year long, not just in the winter. And and that's coincident with something else they were given. with regard to all the uh, the blood, blood forming, uh, blood transport, and blood cancers, that would, of course, in my guess, I'm not a doctor. The only thing that's different is the vaccine. So it had to be the vaccine. There is another thing I want to add here. The highest percentage increase of any you know relatively large number of deaths was N179 acute renal failure. Now, when CDC gives out the data, they give out N17 through N19. That would include N18, which is chronic kidney disease. A lot of old people died of 
uh, they died of whatever, COVID, pneumonia, then they died with chronic kidney disease, stage one, two, three, or four, in um, probably about March to, yeah, March to June of 2020. What that did was it, it, it made a deficit that carried through the next two years. So in the next two years, if you look at 2021 and 2022, um, I'll try to make this easier to follow. In 2021 and 2022, chronic went down, well, well, acute. Now, acute means it happened right away. They didn't have a history of kidney disease. They never had any kidney problems. All of a sudden, they have a kidney problem and they die? Well, that's that's something to look at. And here, here's the numbers. It didn't go up 20% like CDC data show. Acute went up 85%. And that account that amounts to, in Massachusetts alone, one single state of 6.9 million people, 1,500 excess deaths in the last two years. And we believe it's a drug called remdesivir. Uh, I've spoken to many people. Once I put this data out, people came out of the woodwork telling me that their mom was killed, their dad was killed, their brother was killed by remdesivir. I had a guy call me up and say, I'm driving I'm driving to Worcester. My dad's in the hospital. I'll call you when I get there. And uh, I had talked to him before. He's, uh, he's in a Team Reality Massachusetts group. And um, really good guy on the Cape, Cape Cod. Cape Cod's like, <laughs> we're a small state, but when you drive out there, it gets really far. Uh, so he had a three-hour drive maybe to see his dad in Worcester. He gets there, calls me up, said, John, I'm looking at the grease board in his room, and it says remdesivir. I said, get him off it. And um, he, he talked to the doctors. And he demanded that, he, that his father be taken off, and his father was out of the hospital. Um, I, I don't know if it was a week or a few days, but he said his father's out of the hospital. I talked to him within a week later. So, yeah, he was, he was on death's door, and, and they had him on that stuff. Uh, that was going to take out his kidneys. So, you know, the, the, uh, what can be found in data, <clears throat> excuse me, raw data, and, and again, what I have is different from what CDC offers everybody because I have record-level source data. Keeping it, every government in the world seems to be keeping this data from the people. They say, well, you know, there's privacy rights. Well, in, in, in most states uh, and in the United States, HIPAA laws doesn't cover the dead. When, when somebody dies, privacy rights are, are very different than when they're alive. We have a right to know how somebody died. We, we have a right to know if they're murdered. We have the right to know if they're poisoned or stabbed or if they died from a medicine that they continue to give other people. If, if the government is, is not going to look at what is causing these excess deaths in circulatory system and they're going to lie and tell people that they died from COVID, how are we going to fix this? That would mean the government is killing people. I'm sorry, you know, to upset your audience, but that's where we are right now. And I can get into the individual records if you'd like, and, and tell about a few. Yeah, people. please, please get into some. How and and I would like to know how do you how you determine that someone was a vaccine death? Because I believe you developed some way to determine an actual vaccine death with those death certificates and VAERS data. <laughs> Yes, um, and that was that was the tough part. So um, I'm an engineer, and numbers are easy for me. I have 30 spreadsheets linked, and uh, some of the cells, a lot of the cells, are half a page of a half a page long of, of uh, conditions. It's mostly conditions, um, which is basically a formula. It's an equation. Um, so that gave me all the data analysis. But then, you know, how do I dive into the individual records and pull them out? Uh, this is what I'm going to tell you. So I, I did a string search. So there, there's two different ways 
that causes of death are listed on a death certificate. Uh, you won't see them. Like if you go and get a death certificate printed, you might not see the codes. You'll see the causes of death written in English words. So the doctor writes the English words in, in uh, cause of death A, B, C, D. And there's another field, the second part. It's called conditions contributing to death. So in ca cause A is supposed to be the immediate cause of death. And, you know, we have joked around with doctors. Um, actually, Dr. Drew was, was joking with uh, Dr. Victory <clears throat> one time. And uh, they said, yeah, everybody just writes uh, cardiac arrest because that's the last thing that happens is your heart stops. Um, and that's, that's true for some, but professional medical examiners know not to do that. But a lot of physicians do that because they don't, that's not their job to do death certificates and only, they only do it once in a while. So um, I did a string search in the narrative fields. Instead of looking at ICD-10 codes, which I used for data, that was easy to look up codes like I-269 is pulmonary embolism without mention of acute core pulmonality. I-469 is cardiac arrest unspecified. So instead of that, I'd looked for words. And the words, I, I looked for V-A-C-C-I-N. And the reason I looked for V-A-C-C-I-N is because I wanted to find vaccine, vaccination, vaccinated. And I found, I don't know, maybe uh, 20 to 25 of them. And it, of course, it pulled in unvaccinated too. So, you know, it's only 20. Uh, I could read them. So I started reading them. And I realized, wow, they're telling me that these people were vaccinated and died. It's like, you know, vaccinated, uh, degraded over five days and died. It says that. So that, that's a vaccine death. But they didn't put any code in there that's a cause of death for a vaccine. They omitted it. That's a fraud by omission. And the reason I say it's fraud by omission is because there was one record, one record in 460,000 death certificates, uh, and it was in 2021. They wrote Y590 and T881. Y590 is viral vaccines, and T881 is other complications of immunization elsewhere not classified. So it's kind of like a generic immunization cause of death. So she put she put both of them on there. And only because of that, I found those codes. I otherwise would not have found those. Now, knowing that they were put on and there. That's the only, and that's the only, that's the only one you found out of 460,000 was that yes. one vaccine death. Yes. Yep. Yep. With uh, 60. Okay, that's amazing. 60 something thousand deaths in, in 2021 and only one of them. And 2022, I had up through August, it was 40,000. So we're talking about over 100,000 um, since the COVID vaccine came out, over 100,000 records and only one of them had it on it. Uh, and they would say, well, that, that's because there's only one vaccine death. Oh, oh really? Because I found another 10 where the medical examiners wrote that the vaccine was involved. In fact, one of them was thrombocytopenia in the setting of the COVID vaccine days earlier. Uh, that, that was clearly, and, and she had a stroke, uh, thrombocytopenia and acute um, hemorrhagic uh, cerebral hemorrhage. I forget the exact words. It was a cerebral hemorrhage. She had a, she had a stroke, her head blew apart basically. She was 62, her name is Diane. She's a real person. She really was killed by the vaccine. And it's really right there on the death certificate. And yet it wasn't coded. So CDC doesn't have a record and Mass doesn't recognize it as a vaccine death um, because I'm the only one who found that it says it right on the death certificate. Now, there, there were others. <clears throat> and um, that was like 10 or 12. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go into uh, VARES. I'm going to start looking at these. 
And I found that 60, no, I didn't find the 62 year old. Sorry. I found uh, another, another one. Um, and then another one and another one. And how I found those was uh, I started with the younger people. You know, I started looking at teenagers. Then I moved up. You know, I, I found a 17-year-old girl and I was alerted by somebody uh, to a 30-year-old woman, a high school teacher. And interestingly, the Diane I told you about was 62. You know, she had a stroke right after the vaccine and the death certificate says so. And then the 30-year-old, I got a, I got a VAERS record and I have the death certificate and they both correlate extremely well. And I actually talked to the woman who wrote the VAERS record because she called me up. This one's tough. This, I mean, uh, I'll get I'll get into this one because I think your audience might want to hear what's going on with doctors. Okay. Yeah, please do. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> she gets the shot because she has to. She's a high school teacher. I, I have the newspaper article that says she has to get it. I, I believe it's in my last article. So she gets the shot. She gets a headache within 24 hours, and I know that uh, it isn't just the VAERS record that says that. There's actually a six-page brief report, case study by six doctors from Harvard Medical College, Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital. And they say it in the report. She had a bad headache within 24 hours. She had gone to the hospital, uh, the ER, that's uh, ED or ER, emergency department, emergency room, depending on where you are, what we call it, right? She went there, they sent her home with a, saying, you know, you have a migraine. It was so bad, she went back again, they sent her home. She didn't recognize her sister. She was rushed to the hospital. She had intracranial pressure. They cut a hole in her head to relieve the pressure. It didn't work. She had a seizure. She had paralysis on one side of her body. She slipped into a coma and they pulled the plug two weeks later. The, the difference, the, dis, the, the time difference between vaccination and death is like two and a half weeks, but the onset of symptoms, 24 hours. And the, and the brain death was a couple days, a few days. Now, what's really interesting in the six page report and this is all Massachusetts, don't forget. It's all within, you know, a couple hundred miles. of each, Not even that far. I'm trying to think of how far Diane lived from, ah, that's, that's like an hour to an hour and a half drive. Uh, so two, two and a half weeks earlier, Diane died of a stroke. I told you that, right? So intracranial mm -hmm. uh, cerebral um, hemorrhage. In the, in, the, uh, in the report, the six-page report from the doctors, the case study of Brianna, it mentions thrombocytopenia. It says, you know, thrombocytopenia is somewhat common with these vaccines. Like, what do you mean common? I thought you guys loved the word rare. How come you're not using the word rare? There's no correlation to Diane's death. I'm the one who found it. And, and what's even more interesting is in the second to last paragraph of that six-page report, it says, yeah, we, we also didn't find a CVST. That's a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. So they didn't find thrombocytopenia, but a woman, you know, tens of miles away, two weeks earlier in the same state, died from that, a stroke from thrombocytopenia. And then guess what happens five weeks after Brianna, the 30-year-old, dies? Eden McDonald is 17 years old, CVST. Her head blows apart. That's three women, three strokes, three months, same state, all covered up. Not only did they um, not write the vaccine had any causal effect in Brianna's death certificate, they wrote that she died from COVID. She had COVID five months earlier, although the report says three months earlier because they wanted to decrease the time from COVID to the vaccine. They also wanted to lengthen the time from the, uh, the vaccine to death. So the, the timeline in the report is actually wrong. And I, I explain that in my article. 
they also added the word possible in the report. I have a I have the copy of their draft, and I have the copy that's online of the published report from the from the six doctors. And there are slight differences, and one of the differences, it, it, it started out like, yeah, the vaccine did this. It's in the title of the article. Not, it's not an article. I'm sorry. It, it's a, I don't know if it's peer reviewed, but it's in, it's in a medical journal. It's called a brief report. And it's in the title that it's associated with the vaccine. It's in every paragraph of that report. And yet they added the word at the very end, oh, the vaccine might have possibly caused this. It's like possibly caused it. You know it caused it. So then Eden, um, 17-year-old, she delayed her second shot because she had a headache so bad from the first shot that she went to her doctor twice. And then she gets the second shot and she has a CVST and she dies. If they had stopped and paused when, when Diane got her shot, Brianna would be alive. And if they had stopped and paused after Diane and Brianna's, Eden would be alive. And then, you know, we're time limited here. So I'll just say, Holly was 42. Charles was 48. Abby was 20. And, and I could go on. The, the, the reason I got these death certificates is because I heard on the news that a seven-year-old girl had died from COVID. And for all the data that I'm into and looking into this as much as I have, and the reason I do this is because I lost my son in a, in a motorcycle accident and I don't want parents to lose their kids. And I'm in a group of scientists and I know these shots are bad. And I know that they're lying about this and covering things up. And so when they said a seven-year-old, yes, sir. Yeah, I was, I, I was wondering in your estimation, after looking at this data over a year of shots, year and a half, how many deaths do you attribute in Massachusetts only to the COVID vaccine? Well, you know, I, I, I've thought about compiling all the different causes that I would attribute to it, but I, let me just give you a number. <clears throat> that's it's just one single cause of death, and that's cardiac arrest. The excess cardiac arrest, arrest deaths in the last two years, m- more than normal, more than expected. And my expected mm-hmm. is very conservative. I use a linear least squared approximation so and with a positive slope. So I'm not using an average. If, if it's a positive slope line, I'm using where that line intersects 2020 and 2021 and 2022. And so it, it, it could be actually more than this, but 2,700 excess cardiac arrest deaths only in the last two years. It's a pretty high number. Yeah, and that's only Ma- Massachusetts. That's yes. one state of 7 yeah. million people out of, I don't know, how many people have um, received a vaccine now? Do you know that number? Uh, and I, no, I know I, it, it's really hard to, to figure because there's now there's people with five boosters and uh, yeah. some people only had one shot. So it, it kind of gets difficult. Yeah, so it, it, there's two there's two mechanisms, two major mechanisms of action of, of people dying. Um, you know, there's the LNP itself with people having an anaphylactic reaction to the uh, the lipids that are put around that around the uh, <clears throat> mRNA in order to slide it into a cell in order to transfect the cell, um, and the, the the outside of a cell has similar lipids, and that's how they get it in there, and then it decays and, and it opens up and delivers its payload. Um, so people react to just the lipids itself and not the mRNA. And then later on, uh, once they take up the mRNA and their cells become factories to create these spike proteins, the spike protein itself is a toxin. And so you have, you have really quick deaths like uh, pulmonary embolism and uh, cardiac arrhythmia and, and cardiac arrest. 
But then later you also have the other issue uh, with the spike protein. So, and I'm not a doctor, not a scientist, um, but I know that they've all been arguing about this. So yeah, it's... Um, and John, we, we're running out of runway here, but I, I do want to thank you for all the work that you've done and, and it's become such a passion. I know you testify all over the country you know, for scientists and medical people, but you also write. So I want to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find your information if you could share that with everyone. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Um, I, I wrote under a pen name, Coquin de Chien, which I'll spell it because it's French, right? So nobody can spell it. It's uh, C-O-Q-U-I-N-D-E-C-H-I-E-N dot substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. Coquin de Chien, which is, it means naughty dog in French, dot substack dot com. There's about 25 to 30 articles there. First to kind of lay a moral foundation. Um, talk about a death lottery. You know, participation in a death lottery is inherently immoral. And that's what this is. Somebody's going to die. Everybody knows somebody's going to die. And if you participate, well, you, you're not only taking your chances, but you're engaging in an activity where you, you're, you're, you're lowering your morals such that you know someone's going to die and you participate. Uh, people have a moral obligation not to take the shot. Thanks for joining us on Our Lives in Politics. I am Lou Bazzotta, co-host and producer. I'm Booker Scott, and this hour has been a great learning experience from the LGB community and from John Boudouin. Stay tuned for next week when we have Corey Mills, freshman congressman, and Michael Johns, Tea Party founder. Remember, you are the salt of the earth, so be salty. You've been listening to Our Lives in Politics on the America Out Loud Network.